1 Corinthians in chapter number 11. We're, we're in this study of being biblically distinct. We're looking specifically uh, to start at the Baptist acrostic. And you remember the letter B. Uh, the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice. Uh, we believe in the revelation, the inspiration, the preservation, and the authority of Scripture. The letter A is the autonomy of the local church. And we trust God. God let me start over. We trust God to guide our local church. We don't require control from or relinquish control to any human authority outside this local assembly. Christ is the head of this church. We follow God and His Word. Uh, Last week we talked about the priesthood of the believer. If you need help on how to remember that, P is for pancakes. You're welcome. Now I I just, that pancakes is going to come up again. Uh, if I remember in, in part of the... So when we get to uh, talking about baptism, you remind me about pancakes. But uh, letter P is priesthood of the believer. Jesus is our only mediator. Boy, we looked at that this morning. Uh, did we not? In all of the things, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what He continues to do. And because Jesus is our mediator, each individual believer has the right and the responsibility to appeal directly to God without the aid of any other person. You can go to God yourself because of Christ. And I'm thankful for that. Now, that doesn't mean, and again I said this last week, but I want to say it again because some of you get nervous when a statement like that is made. I'll be happy to pray with you, but you understand that you can pray yourself as well. And so it is certainly is good when we pray together. Tonight, let's look at part number four. It's the first T. Now, let me just stop for a minute. I'm, I am from originally the South. In the South, you are not Baptist. So there is no P in, in there. There is, in the South, you're Baptist. Baptist with two B's. Well, two B or not two B's, we, we have a, a B and, and, and a P. So tonight is the first T, and we're going to talk about the two ordinances of the local church this evening. First Corinthians chapter number 11. Are you there? Amen. Amen. All right. Look with me at verse number one. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Verse two. Now I praise you, brethren that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. We're going to talk about these ordinances tonight. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us as we come to your word, help us as we consider now these foundational truths of what we believe and why we believe it. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts and lives. Help us, Lord, that we would... Uh, walk closer to you. Thank you for uh, loving us and for uh, dying for us and for providing us salvation. And I pray if there's one here without Christ tonight, they wouldn't leave this place without trusting you for salvation. Lord, help us. Help us all to understand that eternity is a long, long time. And it certainly is too long uh, to live in without you. 
And I pray, Lord, that we would be mindful of, of who you are, of all that you have done, of all that you continue to do. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. Bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> You'll notice in verse number 2, the word ordinances appears. And you, you will see there in your Bible that that word is plural. Now just a quick uh, uh, English lesson for us tonight, a quick grammar lesson. The word is ordinances. It has an S on the end of it. That makes it plural. That means there's more than one. one. So we know, and, and, and as we uh, now look through the Word of God, we know that there are two that we observe. There are at least uh, two, but these two are so vital, and we'll see why. Just as we saw, now this is so, this is, I, I love the timing of God. Never Didn't even think about this until just now. This morning we saw Jesus in the tabernacle. As we looked at the elements of the tabernacle, we saw pictures of Christ in the tabernacle. Tonight we look at the ordinances, which are both pictures of Christ in the things that we do. And uh, I just I want you to uh, understand that tonight. Uh, but there are more than one. But I want us we got to have the definition. If we don't know what the word means, then it, it really isn't helpful to us. Brother Donnelly texted me yesterday, and uh, I. I he, I won't tell you the, all the contents of the text, uh, but he, he basically said, get out of my head. <laughs> Didn't know I was there, but uh, was happy for the vacation, I guess. Uh, but uh, he, he said that, and then he sent me a, a little screenshot, and it's his sermon notes uh, for today that he had prepared. And uh, he used the word meology uh, in, his, in his sermon notes for today. But my eye was drawn to a word above that, and the word uh, ignobility. Ignobility. Now I will be the first to admit I'm ignorant. <laughs> and so I texted him back. I said, well, thanks for that, and I'm going to have to go look up this word. You say, well, what does it mean? Well, I had to look it up. You can go look it up for yourself later. So let's look at the definition of an ordinance. An ordinance is an authoritative rule, law, decree, or command. Nowhere in there do we find the word suggestion. We see that an ordinance is a rule, it's a law, it's a decree, it is a command. For Christianity, an ordinance is a symbolic act or ceremony that was commanded or ordained by Christ. Now, you will understand, as I do this evening, that there are some religions that use the word sacrament here. We do not, number one, the word sacrament is not found in your Bible. The word ordinance is. Also, the word sacrament, the, the sacrament is a false teaching that man does a work to receive grace. Now, we observe the ordinances because of the grace of God that's already shown, not to earn any more. So that's why we use, of course, the word ordinance. We receive God's work of grace through a believing faith. We do not work for it. We believe and we receive. So think of a biblical ordinance in this way. i just give you uh, some some words here to 
better get your mind around this. A biblical ordinance is not a work, it's a witness. A biblical ordinance is not a means, it's a model. It's not a task, it's a testimony. It's not for procuring, it's for portraying. And there are two local church ordinances that make us biblically distinct. Boy, I don't know. I'm in a lot of trouble talking tonight. My transmission's slipping, I think. But uh, two, two local church ordinances that make us biblically distinct, those are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, as believers in Christ, we practice... Practism. I'm telling you. Whoa, we better just start over. As believers in Christ, we practice baptism and we partake of the Lord's Supper because we have been commanded to do so by Christ. Our participating and our partaking is not a means of getting saved. It's not a means of securing more grace. It is a picture of the saving grace that we've already received. So we'll look at these two ordinances tonight. First, we're going to look at the ordinance of baptism. I'm going to give you a few things here um, about baptism. Uh, Four things here that I want to give to you. And I have my little note. I see it right there. So don't worry, I won't forget pancakes. Baptism, number one, we practice baptism because Christ clearly commands believers to be baptized. The New Testament pattern is belief in Christ followed by believers' baptism. All believers should be baptized. Matthew chapter number 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We practice baptism because Christ tells us to practice baptism. Number two, we practice, or we baptize now by immersion and not Sprinkling. I'd be the first to tell you tonight, boy, it'd be so easy to sprinkle. Wouldn't have to worry about leaks in the tub. We wouldn't have to worry about heating up the water. We wouldn't have to worry about, you know, everybody getting, getting all wet and all, all those different things. We could, we could put the baptismal right there. Heard a preacher talk about, heard, heard a preacher talk about that once. He said he was asked to preach in a, in a church that wasn't uh, necessarily of like faith, and it was early on in his preaching ministry, and he didn't necessarily know any better. He's like, hey, I'll go. And he goes, and he gets up there to preach, and he thought it real nice uh, that they had uh, put him a glass of water right there. So as he's preaching along and getting dry, and he's drinking, he's like, man, this water's like warm. And he puts it back down. And he's like, they could have got, and he's like, this water got stuff in it. You know, and he's going on, and then they told him afterwards he drank their entire baptistry. (laughs) We baptize by immersion and not by sprinkling, not because it's what we choose, it's because it's the way that God commands. And there is a wonderful picture that we see in this matter 
of baptism. Our English word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse, to cover wholly with liquid, to make fully wet. That's important because of the symbolism of the action. You can write this reference down, Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 4. Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 4. This is what the Bible says. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I have never seen someone buried where the guy just went over and Sprinkled a little dirt on top. That that doesn't seem to work. They dig a deep hole. They put them in. They cover them fully with dirt. Let me uh, talk to you some more about the word baptism. It means immerse. And uh, I can picture it this way. I baptize my pancakes in syrup. I do not sprinkle my pancakes with syrup. I bury them. Fully covered with liquid. Boysenberry is the best. If you've not tried that, go ahead. It'll it'll change your life. It's in the Bible somewhere. (laughs) Baptism portrays vividly the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ as sufficient provision for the washing away of sin. We baptize by immersion because the biblical examples indicate the same. In Matthew chapter number 3 and verse 6, it uh, is talking about John the Baptist here, and it says, and were baptized of him in Jordan. Not by Jordan. When they weren't standing by the water, and John was reaching his fingers in and, and throwing the water. He said they were in the water. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but If I was just going to get sprinkled, I wouldn't go in the water. Matthew 3, verse 16. Jesus, when He was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Mark 1, verses 9 and 10. Baptized of John in Jordan and straightway coming up out of the water. John 3, and verse 23. And John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salem because... There was much water there, and they came and were baptized. Acts chapter number eight, verses thirty-eight and thirty-nine. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, it says in that verse. So there is the picture there that you go in the water, you go under the water, you come up from the water and you go out of the water. But what we see when we say buried in the likeness of His death, what we do is we publicly now picture and identify with Christ and testify of the fact and visually portray His death, burial, and resurrection. And I'm thankful for the resurrection part. Otherwise, baptism would be the death and burial and we'd just leave you under there. Well, it doesn't seem like we'd last very long as a church if that's what we did. And I'm certain, Christian, aren't you glad we brought you back up out of the water? 
the accounts that we find in our Bible all mention being in the water. Now let me give you another truth here. There are Greek words for sprinkling. None of them are ever used in our in our Bible about this matter of baptism. So uh, we see that we practice baptism because Christ clearly commands us to be baptized. We baptize by immersion and not by sprinkling. Number three, we baptize saved believers. We do not baptize to save individuals. A ready candidate for baptism is one who has trusted Christ and His finished work for salvation. It's one who has accepted by faith the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as the means of washing away His sins. Acts chapter number 8 again, in verse number 36, the Bible says, The eunuch said, See, here is water. He's talking to Philip. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you'll find they stopped the chariot and they climbed down and they got in the water. Didn't have to go to a class. They didn't have to have a vote. Are you saved? Have you trusted Christ? Yes then we can get in the baptistry and we can identify, we can get in the water and picture now what Christ has done for us. Baptism is an outward display of inward belief in Christ. It's an outward display of obedience to Christ. It is a public profession to follow Christ. I heard a fellow say it this way. And I'll use myself as an example here. I, I um, let's see. This is ni- uh, this is 1994. This is 2024. So this year I will have been married 29 years. And uh, praise, praise the Lord. And uh, <clears throat> and so there was a uh, you know there was an initial marrying ceremony. I got a license for it. I got a piece of paper. It's got my name on. It's got her name on it. And. Uh, Unlike a driver's license, it doesn't expire every so many years. I worked for a guy once that said that he thought marriage licenses ought to expire like driver's licenses. Well, if you knew him, you'd understand why. So my wife and I, we we got married. And now, still to this day, I wear this ring. This ring doesn't make me married. This ring is a public display that I'm married. Baptism doesn't save you. It is a public display that you've been born again. And what? And I don't understand people who uh, minimize now the beauty of baptism. Where you get to see. Because I I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't die for himself. He died for you. And he died for me. And so by when when we're saved and we trust Christ. And we have now the privilege to get into the water. And to identify with Christ. We get to actually actually act out now. 
what He's done for us. Buried in the likeness of His death. He died for me that I could have life. Raised in the likeness of His resurrection. Why? Because at salvation we are given eternal life. And what a thrill that it is to know, hey, I now am a child of God. I'm born into the family of God. And I want everybody to know it. You know, let's go back to this ring for a minute. I don't have to wear that. I don't. Right? It's, it's, not, a, it's not a law that says that I have to wear that. <clears throat> But can I ask you a question? If I just stuff this in the back of my drawer at home and refuse to wear it for the last 29 years, how do you think that'd make her feel? See, I'm not ashamed for it to be known that that she's my wife. I, I'm not. I'm not ashamed to... And I can't, boy, I've worn this ring so long now, there's a permanent divot in my finger. Even if I took it off, I, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't deny it. But there is that outward display. Think about it. Well, Jesus saved me, but you know what? I'm not going to follow Him in believer's baptism. How do you think that makes Him feel? Ah, that you say, I don't want to identify with Christ. I'm here to tell you, baptism, friend, it's important. You might sit there and say, well, you know what, I don't necessarily see it as that important. I promise it will make a difference in your life. We baptize saved believers. Let me just say this. This will put a lot of issues to sleep. Not a lot of church members to sleep. Stay awake. Think with me. You know the verse. You don't have to turn there. John chapter 3. And verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever is baptized in Him... Is that what it says? No. Think of it now. There's a simplicity right in the Word of God that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The salvation comes as a result of the believing. It comes through faith, not through the water. Baptism is just a picture. And it's important that we understand that because that's why we don't baptize babies. We don't baptize for salvation. We baptize because of salvation. There is no biblical example of babies ever being baptized because one must believe before being baptized and babies, since they have not reached the point where they can believe, all you do is make them wet. And they do that on their own enough. Number four. Then uh, why is baptism essential for the believer. We have to ask this question now. Because how are we saved? By believing in Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So then why is baptism essential for you and for me as believers? Because if it's not necessary for salvation, and it isn't, 
then why go through the trouble to do it? The simple answer is this. Because it's a command of Christ, therefore it's necessary for obedient Christianity. Over and over through Scripture, you will find the first act of the believer is to follow Christ and identify with Christ in believer's baptism. Here's the pattern for us. Saved, baptized, added to the church. Baptism is a requirement for church membership. Acts chapter number 2, we see this. Uh, Acts chapter number 2, verse 41. Then they that gladly received His Word. What does that mean? They believed. Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Hey, how are we going to walk with the Lord if we won't follow in His footsteps? How are we going to be in good fellowship with the Lord if we won't follow His commands? The first ordinance is baptism. And it's important. And I would encourage you tonight. Look, I cannot tell you how it encouraged my heart the day that Miss Cheryl called me. We had just that previous Sunday uh, baptized uh, Brother Tyler and Miss Vanya. And uh, Miss Cheryl's mom was here with her, uh, in, with them in service. And Miss Cheryl calls me that following week and says, uh, my mom wants to know. Uh, she said she's been saved and got saved a long, long time ago, but she's never been baptized. And she wants to get baptized. Young, old, it it doesn't matter. Hey, if you're saved, you ought to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Number two. Let's, or second tonight, let's look at the Lord's Supper. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22. You can hold your place in 1 Corinthians 11. We'll come right back. Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter 22. Verse number 14 is where we'll start. Luke chapter 22 and verse 14, the Bible says, When the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink, look what it says, of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and he gave thanks and break it, gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new testament in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. When we can go on and, and you know the part after that. But there is Jesus now. Uh, as he gives that initial uh, teaching now, that as they observe 
the Lord's Supper. In my Bible, over these verses, for this passage, it says institution of the Lord's Supper. That's how it's it's broken up in, in a subject there. But if you look back now, now that we've read Luke 22, look back at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, the Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do, in remembrance of Me. After the same manner also He took the cup when He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in My blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So the Lord's Supper, and we are, of course, familiar with that, but let me give you some things tonight. Uh, number one is this. Let's, let's consider the purpose of the Lord's Supper. The purpose of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, or you could use the word communion if you like. You'd say Lord's Table. I, I've heard uh, it referred to in, in a variety of different ways. But the Lord's Supper, or communion, is an observance to remind believers of the death of Christ. And the believers should also take time during uh, this occasion to evaluate his own spiritual condition confessing and repenting of his own sin. Look with me, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. But let a man examine himself. You know what I've found? Now we, we come to the Lord's table, and we, again, this communion time, we, when we talk about our fellowship with God. You know what I've found over the course of my life, and this might stun you, but I'm pretty sure it's the same with you. Anytime there's ever been a problem uh, with with my fellowship with God, anytime there's ever been a problem with your fellowship with God, the problem has always been us, not God. But let a man examine God. No. Let a man examine God himself there's a problem it's not with god it is with us and the lord's supper it's not something that you tack on uh to the end of a service it's not something that's to be done lightly just as baptism isn't something to be done lightly the lord's supper should be a serious time of reflection and worship where we make sure that we're right with God, we make sure that we're right with our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, uh, that, that we make sure now that there's no break in the fellowship, that we have good communion. Y'all don't agree with that? Better. It's serious. It's very serious. It's not meant to be taken lightly. It's not meant to be uh, done in necessarily in a hurry and just as an add-on or just as a ritual. This is an observance of Christ's finished work on the cross of Calvary, what He did for us to bring us saving grace. That's the purpose. To reflect on what God has done for us. Number two, the form of the Lord's Supper. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the word supper, I think of eating until my pants don't fit right. When Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 11, there was a problem there. But we talk now about the Lord's Supper. You know, the elements consist of unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, which we see uh, from the Gospel of Luke there that uh, these were elements of the Passover meal. And it's what Jesus and the disciples ate at the Last Supper. The bread is a picture of the body of Christ. The juice pictures His blood. And when we partake of these elements, not to fill ourselves physically, I mean, it's just a little tiny, small thing. I, I've talked to Brother Richard and Brother Robert about, you know, the possibility of, you know, if we're going to do the Lord's Supper, can we, can, you know, can, can we get a bigger container, you know, for the juice? That, you know, I need more, more of a, more of a drink. It's, it, it, eating the elements is to remind us of Christ and identify, again, identify us with Him. It's to, for us to come to that place where we understand that we're in right fellowship with Him, that there's nothing, like the song says, nothing between my soul and the Savior, no unconfessed sin, no unrepentant sin, that, that, and, and that there's no problem now between me and someone else, uh, no other brother or sister in Christ, that I'm in right standing with God when I reflect now upon what He's done. Again, not to be saved, not to get more grace, but to improve now my fellowship with God and with each other. The bread and juice, they identify us with Him, but and they, they give us a picture of Him, but they do not become the actual body and blood of Christ. Boy, I am thankful for that. I, re- I really am. You know... And I'll give you a couple of things here. Catholicism teaches that the elements, the, the wafer and the wine, that they actually, uh, by form of blessing, they supernaturally become the body and blood of Christ. That's called transubstantiation. That's a really big word. You say, how do you spell that? T-R and substantiation where they say that the the elements become the body and blood of Christ. Answer me this question. How do you resolve that with Scripture that says Christ was once offered? Once offered. Not crucified again afresh. Once offered. Lutherans teach that the substance of the bread and the juice mingle and coexist with the body of Christ in the elements. That's called consubstantiation. That's another word. How do you spell that? C-O-N substantiation. But the Bible teaches, and we believe because the Bible teaches, the elements are only symbolic representations of Christ's broken body and shed blood that serve to remind us in remembrance of me, remind us of His finished work. The form. Number three, let's talk about the partakers of the Lord's... Oh, this was good. I've been waiting to talk about you all, all night. 
the partakers of the Lord's Supper. Who, who should? Who can? Who shouldn't? The partakers of the Lord's Supper. Communion is, like baptism, for saved believers only. Those who have trusted Christ alone for their salvation. I want you to think about this. We look in, in the Gospel of Luke, we look in 1 Corinthians 11, as we partake of the bread and of the juice, Jesus says, this is a picture of what I've done. Uh, this is a picture to remind you of my death. And you do this until I come again to keep yourself reminded of the work that was finished on the cross of Calvary. So for the unsaved unbeliever, partaking of the Lord's Supper is not only hypocritical, but harmful as well. 1 Corinthians 11, if you're still there, look with me at verse 27. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, let me tell you, if you're not saved, you're unworthy. If you are saved, still in and of yourself, you're still unworthy. It's only the righteousness of Christ that makes us worthy. So it says, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That's the New Testament word there for physical death. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Again, the Lord's Supper is for those who are in right relationship and right fellowship with the Lord and with fellow believers. That means that self-examination is a vital prerequisite of this serious, solemn observance. That's why we say... Now, now let me just, just, just really quickly say this. There is this attitude of, you know what, I'm not right with God and I don't care and I'll just let the plate go by, you know, with the elements on it and I'll, I'll deal with it later. Don't do that. That's just as harmful. Like we always say, hey, when that time comes, when we're uh, in that time of self-examination, get clean, get right, and get to the table. I have no problem at all. We come to the Lord's table and somebody through the course of the service says, I'd like to partake, but I'm not saved. Well, let's get saved. Right then. Well, wait a minute, I, I'm saved, but I need to follow the Lord in baptism. All right, well, you know, let's, let's get in the tub and you, know, you all want to sit around for a little bit. We'll get enough water in there, we can do it, and we'll do it. And then we'll come to the table with that one that's now in right fellowship with God. And this idea that we just got to hurry and get through it. No, it's a time where we examine ourselves. I don't examine you. You don't examine me. But we, in the sight of God and in humility, we're willing now to say, God, search me. God, point out anything in my life that's wrong. I want to be in clean, close fellowship with you so that when I think of what Christ has done on the cross now, the impact that it has. 
on my heart and on my life. Number four. The observing of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of Christ. And the local church is responsible to administer it. Every time you see it mentioned, it is done together now as a body of believers at an assembly, at a, at a place of assembling together. The church body participates in the ordinance by assembling together. That's what I just said for the activity. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 verse 33. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat. Never do we see the Lord's Supper done alone. There are three, three common descriptors of how a local church practices the Lord's Supper. There, there are three different words you might hear uh, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, or we'll use the word communion uh, here for this part, but uh, there are three uh, different descriptors. There's closed communion, there's open communion, and then there's one in between called close communion. Closed communion says that only members of that local church can participate. So if you're here uh, tonight and we were observing the Lord's Supper and uh, you have not yet uh, become a member of this church, uh, you're saved and baptized, but uh, maybe you're visiting from out of town and, and that, well, you know what? It's off limits for you. That That's closed communion. It's done within that local church body itself. Then there's open communion where that says there's no restriction put on participation. It's just like, here it is, you know, everybody, you know, whosoever will, just knock it out. Then in the middle of those two, there is close communion. If you want to know what we are, here we go. We are, we are this in the, in the middle here. Any believer may participate whether a member of the serving church or not. That means uh, if you have uh, someone that comes to visit you and they're saved, baptized, in right standing with God, you know, and they want to partake, guess what? They can, even though they're not a member of this church. Why? Because mm, you're in the body of Christ as a whole. We observe and practice close communion. Now, I want you to know why this is important. We don't practice open communion. We don't practice closed communion. We provide the requirements. So that moves us from open communion where it says, oh, just whoever wants to just go ahead. We provide the requirements, but we don't police the table. Remember what the Bible says. Let a man examine himself. And then, You'll find if you've, if you've been here and, and, uh, in the time where we have observed the Lord's table, I don't stand up here at the front as the, as the elements are being passed and go, ooh, okay, he took some and she let it go by and he took some and, oh, hey, put that back. No, don't do that. Why? Because we examine ourselves and we answer 
uh, to God. We are accountable for ourselves before God. So we want you to know that, hey, when we do the Lord's table, if you're not saved, if you're not in right standing with God, it's better for you to refuse. It's best for you just to get right with God, but it's better for you to let it go by. What did he say? For this reason, some of you are weak and sickly and some sleep. That means there's a gravity to this. So we provide the requirements. If you're not saved, it's not for you. You you need to be saved by the grace of God and then you can rejoice by participating in this reflection on what Christ has done. And we don't police the table, meaning I don't go around, you don't have to flash your membership card as the as the plate goes by to receive the elements. And that's important. As far as the frequency goes, I've been asked this question a lot. You probably have entertained this question from time to time. Uh, How often should we do this? You know, the Bible never gives us an answer for that. There is no schedule given in the Bible. It's just given that we would partake and when we do... We remember Christ. Verse 26, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till He come. This year we are every other month, uh, one Sunday a month, and this year uh, we're going to do it strictly in the morning services all year uh, long. Um, I've been in churches that have done it once a year. I've been in churches that have done it every week. Um, you know, there there is no schedule, but when we do it, we ought to do it right and for the right reason. I don't want to do it so often that it just becomes so much of a knee-jerk reaction that we lose sight of the preciousness. But I don't want it to be so far off that, you know, we get ourselves, uh, you know, all filthy dirty and it takes a long time to get all cleaned up. To come to the table either. Number five. Let me give you the benefits of the Lord's Supper. We'll be done tonight. The benefits of the Lord's Supper. It's just a little bread and a little juice, right? This is why we devote the entire service to the supper. Because it's more than a little cracker and a little juice. Here are four benefits. I'm going to give you four benefits. We'll be done. Four benefits of the Lord's Supper. Number one, benefit number one, to get close. To get close. That's the first benefit. We are drawn to focus on what the Lord has done for us. That's the purpose. Benefit number two, to get clean. So the first benefit is to get close. Second benefit is to get clean. We are confronted with our need for self-examination, confession, and repentance. We are encouraged to obediently and willingly follow the Lord and to keep short accounts of our actions and our attitudes. So get close, get clean. Benefit number three, to get comfort. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. But what a comforting joy it is to come to the Lord's table. 
we are reminded at the table of the Savior's love for us. We're reminded of His care for us. We're reminded of His promises to us. You do show the Lord's death till He come. As a result, the local church body is strengthened because of the reflection on what Jesus has done. Benefit number four, to get confidence. To get confidence. We are reminded of the Lord's promise of His imminent return to receive us for Himself. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And all that He was willing to die on a cruel cross in my place and in yours and take the payment, uh, the penalty for our sin and make the perfect payment that we could have peace with God. I don't know about you, but that brings me an awful lot of comfort. That brings me an awful lot of confidence in a day where people shudder to think, I don't know what I'm going to do when I stand before God. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to plead the blood of Christ because that's where my faith rests. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, two ordinances. And, And here's the purpose. Why don't just put them there just to have something to do? But both of these ordinances, just like we saw from the tabernacle this morning, remind us of our relationship with our extraordinary God. And my goodness, what a God He is. 